0: Have you ever really looked at a seed? I mean, really looked at a seed. It's small and seemingly insignificant, but packed into each seed is an almost limitless potential. To reach this potential, it needs to sprout roots. And to sprout roots, it needs to be planted in good soil. In a matter of years, this tiny seed can grow into a giant tree, producing hundreds, if not thousands, of pieces of fruit. Each piece of fruit then contains its own seeds, with their own potential, that can bear more fruit, and so on, and so on, and so on, all from just one seed being planted. So, what are you being faithful to plant? How are you investing your energies, abilities, and resources to grow God's kingdom? There is no way to measure how much fruit will come from one seed, but together we can be faithful to plant. And watch God produce a vast harvest in our church, in our city, and the world for many years to come.
1: It's great to see you Providence and if you're a guest here with us, welcome if you're at home on live stream or in the amphitheater, uh, thanks for joining us as well. Uh, it is good to see you Providence and uh, on this uh, uh, third and uh, final Sunday where I get to sort of lay out uh, where uh, we believe God is leading us over the next three years. I'm excited to do that and so uh, we are glad you're here. If you would, let's bow let's pray together. okay Father, thank you so much for the Bible. Thank you for the gift of your word to us that gives us clarity, that informs our decisions, that gives us comfort when we're in need of it, that gives us hope and peace and joy and believing. We're grateful so much for uh, those who went before, who paid a dear price with their own life in order to uh, see that we would have a copy of the Bible in our own language. We thank you, Father, for those men and women of faith who when it was not legal to do so, saw the value that it would bring to generations and generations who could read the Bible in their own language. And so as we come to this time, we thank you for inspiring them with faith to do what you called them to do. Thank you for giving them strength. And God, I pray that you would help us to be thankful for what's in our hand. God, when we have a copy of this book, as we have a copy of Ephesians chapter 3 that we're soon to read, God, I just we're just thankful. We're so thankful. And I pray, God, that you would open up our eyes and help us to see amazing things in your word, that you would help us to see amazing things in your son, and that we would glorify Jesus Christ with our life during this time. So would you speak through weakness? Would you give us belief? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So in the Bible, it tells us that you and I are created beings. There is absolutely no way for God to stamp greater uh, dignity on your life than he did when he says that he created you and me, all of us, in his image. We were created in the image of God. We were created by God. We were created for the glory of God. We were created to walk with God, to live with God, to know God. And then finally, when we would stand before him, when we're done, to offer an account of our life to God. Everything about who you are makes sense because there is a God. You need to know that. The Bible says that you and I, every single person who's ever walked the face of the earth, that we severed our relationship from God in our sin. And that really creates a problem because when you think about the fact that God is the basis of our origin, our destiny, and our purpose in the middle of those two things, and you separate from Him, you have a real big problem. And this is where the world is literally trembling right now in brokenness. And it's because we've separated from Him. You see, the Bible says that when we walk away from God, we get lost. And what we find in creation, and what we find in our own lives is that when we get lost, we're the only created being that accelerates. Most animals and whatnot, when, when they're lost or when they're fearful, they lie down. We don't lie down. We just run harder. We run faster. We've, we find more lanes in which we can veer our car and hopefully navigate each and every one of them. Solomon wrote of this natural tendency of ours when we get lost at the end of his life when he was talking about just the significance of what it feels like when you get lost. He says, God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. What that means is that God made life to be pretty simple, a straight line, upright, for us to navigate everything by seeing him and saying, everything about life is supposed to be oriented around who he is But when we break fellowship with who he is, it says that we search out many schemes. What does that look like? Well, for many of us, you can just look at your own life because we've all done this. This little picture sort of gives a a graphic of what it feels like. That instead of one lane that we try uh, to to, uh, drive down, there's many roads and there's many turns in many of those roads. And all the signs that offer some basis of navigation to us none of them actually correspond with the road that we happen to be on. And this is what life feels like when we are in endless scheming. Let me just say it really, really carefully. God really wants your life to be simple. And when we use separate from him, it becomes very complex. And that complexity it begins to wear upon our heart and our body because we weren't made for it. And so one of the first things that happens when we give ourselves to endless scheming is we feel separated from God. Well, what does that feel like? Well, first it feels heavy. Some of you know what it feels like when you really give time And you get everything off of your chest and you confess all of your sin to God. And it just feels light. It feels like your conscience is clean. It feels like your heart is full of peace. Well, endless scheming is just the opposite. And so it feels heavy. David wrote about it when he said, Your hand was heavy upon me when I didn't confess my sin. So one, it feels heavy. I think second, it feels fake. We walk into a place like this with other people who believe in God and we start using like God language and we start talking about how blessed we are and hey have you seen how God's working in your life and all of a sudden we're like no but I I probably should so yeah it's really been a great week God's been just so close to me and we just we know we're lying we know we're fake it feels terrible to be fake And then the other thing that happens is, is, is sometimes we feel apathetic. We come in here and it's time to worship. And we look around and we see other people seeming like their heart's really engaged in what's happening around here. And our heart simply is not. And it, and it can feel cold when it's time to sing to the Lord. And sometimes you walk in the room and you think, I just don't want to. One day when you get to heaven, you are never going to have that thought. Isn't that a good day? You are never going to have the thought, I just don't want to worship him today. It, it won't even be a category. But here on the earth, when we're so divided in so many different ways, these are some of the things that we feel. This endless scheming, then, then we give ourselves to something I call busy barrenness, where we really are busy in life because... Because we're not satisfied. And so we give ourselves to not just one road, but 15 roads. And so we do a lot, and we work a lot, and we spend a lot, and we eat a lot, and we shop a lot, and we join a lot. And yet we still feel empty. That emptiness, it creates even problems within our relationships because we become impatient with people. Wanting to find that trigger that satisfies our soul. I think another thing that takes place and surfaces in our life when we when we're endless schemers is we find financial problems. And this happens because every scheme needs money. Every road needs resource. And so if you're traveling down one or two primary, this is what God has called me to do, and you can you can pour all of your resources into that. It seems like you have enough, but isn't it interesting how. It doesn't matter how much money you make. If your heart is bent on endless schemes, you'll never make enough. And then perhaps the last thing that takes place that we begin to see in our life when we're separated from God and so we're not upright. We're engaged in so many many schemes is that we begin to economize on our priorities. And that's typically our relationships. The people that we know love us the most and we know love that we love them the most, we tend to give less and less of who we are to them. We don't have as many deep conversations, as many meaningful conversations. We, we, we don't have time to play catch with our kids. We don't have time to go watch their games because we're just so distracted. We're everywhere and so we're nowhere. And God wants you to know that he has a different plan. That even though we've all separated ourselves from God in our sin, that not only has he restored us through Jesus if we trust in him, but he also wants to restore equality and dignity to how we're living our life. And this is why we've looked over the last few weeks at James 4 and Psalm 90, and how these writers within the scriptures, as they're calling people to come back to the Lord, To look to the Lord, to confess to the Lord, to be with the Lord, to be near him. And then to observe what he is doing in the world and then begin to align our lives with what he is doing so that he can actually establish the work of our hands. You see, I don't know how or or care how old or young you are here. Some of you, I know you're young. I look at you and think, i got my whole life ahead of me. I just want you to know something. That life is going to come to an end before you know it. It happens so fast. And God wants to protect you. You see, this is a three-year vision. I want you to think about how fast three years ago were from where you are right now. It's going to go just like that. And so what is God doing in the world? That's what we've been looking at these last few weeks. That's what I want to spend some time here. The Bible says that God's on a mission to be known. He wants to be known so that we can enjoy Him, so that we can love Him. We can be in a real relationship with Him, that we can glorify Him. He wants to be known. And when we sinned and separated, He became unknown to us. And so the whole of the Scripture is His written revelation of how He's trying to rescue this relationship and what He's done in order to make it possible for you and me to stop our endless scheming and to come back into a relationship with him. And what it says is that the central part of his rescue mission was sending his son, Jesus Christ, who came and he died for our sin. He was resurrected from the dead. People saw him and believed and God took those believers, collected them together and made a special people out of all the peoples in the world. He made a special people. He calls it a holy people. It means set apart, a different kind of people who have a very specific job description. And this is the local church. And the church, the job is simply to do this, is to display his glory to all the peoples on the earth by enjoying his grace and by declaring his glory and by anticipating his rescuer. This is the mission of the church, and that's not going to change. And every church finds ways to, in their own language, sort of explain this, how what How their church is going to go about doing this. And here at Providence, for years, we've said that we exist to glorify God by introducing all peoples to Jesus Christ and growing them up to love and worship Him. You find embedded in these words the concepts of enjoying Him and proclaiming Him and anticipating and waiting, and can't we can't wait to see Him again. This is what we're about. And this is our mission. And we say, well, what's the strategy? Well, the strategy isn't for us to say, well, let's figure out in our own merit, in our own way, in our own creativity how to do that. No, we just look back to Jesus and we say, well, how are you doing this? If this is what you're doing, how are you doing this? How are you accomplishing this? And you see within the pages of Scripture and you see within the world today that what Jesus is doing today is he is connecting people to himself and to his people called the church. He's growing them up in truth and love. He's serving people inside and outside of the church. And he's going to people inside our country and outside our country to all the nations and all the peoples of the world. And so with our mission and strategy that's firmly established every few years, it's good, though, just to back up and say, now, what do we envision ourselves doing over the next few years so that we can walk together? And this is where we came with the idea called plant. It originates from something that Paul wrote in his gospel, to a region of the world. This is what it says. It says, whoever, I'm sorry, whatever. He says, whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the same flesh will reap corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good For in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. So what he's saying here is this, is that if we will understand his promise, that if we'll plant good seed into the ground, specific kinds of seed into the ground, and we'll endure when it gets tiring, that work of planting, that we will in due time reap a harvest that will glorify the Lord. And so what we're seeking to do is to plant for three good years. We want to plant three good seeds and three really good beds of soil. And this is what it is. It's to plant our lives in the church. It's to plant the gospel in our city. And it's to plant churches in the world. The last two weeks, I've really focused on those first two. And what I want to do is to show you in these four verses here, this amazing set of verses actually navigates us through each one of these, but lands primarily on why is it important for us to plant churches in the world. So let's read it together. Starting chapter three, verse seven says, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. Paul is writing them, urging them for the first two chapters of what the gospel actually is, what God has made available to them. And now what he does is he lands in verse 10 and he says, do you see the amazing significance of the church on the earth? And so this is what we learn here. The first thing we see is that God displays his wisdom through the church. He displays his wisdom through the church. This is verse 10. He says, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known. God wants to be known. He wants his wisdom to be known. And so just like an artist, an artist who perhaps carves a sculpture or paints a painting in order to be able to tell people what's going on inside their mind or perhaps inside their heart. Well, God, like an artist, he's creating works in order that people might be he helped to know who he is. And the Bible tells us that he's planted these works of art everywhere you look. It says in the first chapter of Romans, verse 20, it says this. It says, God's invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. What he's saying is this, is that people can look at creation itself and can deduce that there is a designer of all things, that there is a wise one who has done this. And when you look at the beautiful things that he's created on the earth, everything from sunsets to sunrises to oceans to mountains to flowers to grass, I mean, sometime just this afternoon, go out, pluck a piece of grass and look really closely at the complexity of a single blade of grass. And every bit of it speaks to the wisdom of God. You see it everywhere. I have a friend here at Providence. His name is John. He's in the honeybees. I'm not into honeybees, but he's in the honeybees. And when I asked him why he's in the honeybees, he said, it's because when I see honeybees and I see how God created them, it just makes me amazed at God's wisdom. So I thought I should probably look into honeybees, All right? Not to own them, just what are they? Well, like, why are they so significant? And so I want to show you a picture, right? This is a picture. Now, this happens to be a dead bee that zoomed in on its eye. That's its eye. And all of these green little spore-looking things, that's pollen. This is under a high-density microscope, a dead bee. And you see all of the the, the, um, little shapes on the eye. Well, each one of these, it provides a bee's eye, Such complexity to focus at high speeds that is five times greater and more intense than your eye. And what this means is that when you're driving down the road and you see a big patch of yellow flowers, if you're driving at a high rate of speed, you look over, you know they're flowers. If you pause and actually are able to focus on one individual flower, you can see where that flower stops and where it starts and where the next one starts. But for the most part, what we see is a sea of yellow or a sea of red. But for a bee, because God created their eyeballs with such complexity. It says that they can fly and they can actually identify at high rates of speed not only which is like, that's a flower and that's a flower, but it can actually see which one has pollen and which one doesn't. You see, now this is a remarkable thing. It's a bee, and that one's a dead bee. He's under a microscope. And what Paul is saying here is this, is that if you and I want to see the most vivid, concentrated display of color The colorful wisdom of God on the earth. You're not going to look at mountain ranges and you're not going to look at bees. Paul says you're going to look at the church. I want you to look at this picture just for a second. This is an amazing picture. These believers in China, what Paul is saying is that this is more stunning This is more of a picture and a portrait of God's wisdom than anything else that he's created on the earth. You see, when it says here the manifold wisdom of God, the word manifold, it means various diversified colors. You see, these people right here, they have a Bible that's in their Chinese language. For that Bible to be translated, people had to die. You see, they live in a country where it's not legal to gather together as believers. And so, what they're doing here is not only illegal, it's miraculous because every one of these people, just like you and I, the Bible says they were once dead in their sin, which means that God poked them and prodded them, and they were unresponsive to God and unimpressed with God. And now, all of a sudden, they are awakened. Their eyes have seen, they believe in Jesus Christ, their sin has been forgiven. And now they have been given mercy and they have come together and now they're holding Bibles in their own language in a land where it's not legal and they've come together in order to worship God. And what Paul is saying is that if you want to see the greatest display of wisdom on the earth, it's in the local church. And why he's doing all this is to show us this is my mechanism for how I'm going to accomplish my mission. I want to be known. I want people to see that I'm wise, and the greatest display of my wisdom is found in the gathering of believers together on the earth. It's an amazing thing. You see, you and I—it's—it's it's, it's like here on the earth, it's—it's—it's—it's it's, it's, it's seen. We can see the church. It, but did you notice that what God says and what Paul says here is—he says that this church it actually is bearing witness of the wisdom of God. Not just to the people on the earth, it says, but to the heavenly authorities. Now, who are the heavenly authorities? Well, the Bible calls those angels and demons in heaven and in hell. You see, Philippians chapter 2, verse 10, it says that every knee is going to bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. That's in hell. Everyone is going to acknowledge one day that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And everyone is going to say, he's king and I'm not. And so this is what he's saying. He's saying God has placed this church on the earth, not only to accomplish his mission on the earth, but then first Peter chapter one says that the authorities in heaven, the angels, they look down upon the earth and they look at you. They look at us right now. This is a local church. And it says that they absolutely marvel that God has created a church out of rebels. He's created sons and daughters out of people who've sinned against him. And then it also says in Ephesians chapter six that the authorities who are in hell, they look at the church and they convulse at the certainty of their doom. They look at what is happening right now as evidence that one day, that their reign on this earth will come to an end. You see, this is why the church is so significant. What you are a part of right now, it is beyond and is going to last beyond your life. I know sometimes it doesn't feel so swell. Sometimes we don't treat each other so great. Sometimes it's not as electric as our heart would hope. But you have to understand that you being involved in this is literally a part of God's central mission for rescuing humanity. So how is the church built? Well, that's the second point you see in verse 8 and 9. That's that God builds the church as the gospel is preached. He says in verse 8 and 9 that grace was given to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ, the mystery hidden for ages. Providence, listen, the God, the churches are built for his glory as his message. The gospel is spoken as it's told to other people. And we saw this word mystery last week. First Timothy chapter three, verse 16 says, great. Indeed, we confess is the mystery of godliness, the mystery. Now, in our world and how we use the word mystery, what that normally is, it's on the back of a cereal box that there's some riddles, and if we can find enough, uh, you know, people and we get creative enough and we can be clever enough, then we can search out the answer to the mystery. But when the Bible uses the word mystery, what it's talking about is something that's so unsearchable, so uninventable, that we would never find it if it wasn't revealed to us. And this is what you find up there in verse four look what it says. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has been now revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the spirit. You see the greatest mystery in the world. I know some of you, you have questions right now about life and they feel really pressing. Things like, which job should I take? Should I leave my company for this? How do, I, how do I train my child? And all those, they're all important and they're all important to God, but they're not the most important question. The most important question that makes all other questions pale in comparison is this question. How are we who are sinful going to be made godly so we can go to heaven? You see, when you die, you're not gonna really care where you ate lunch today. I know that feels big right now, Okay, But one day, that's not going to feel so big. And this is what Paul said. He goes, listen, great indeed is the mystery of godliness. How are sinful people made godly people so they can go to heaven? This is a mystery. And every time that man has sought to find the answer to that on their own, we've always come up with the same answer. What's the answer? Try harder. (laughs) Work harder. Do more. So what the Bible says is actually... You can't try harder. You can add all of your good works to all of your sin, and you still end up imperfect. It requires perfect godliness to get to heaven. And so the mystery that must be preached is that God delivered on his promise by sending his son to die for us and then to rise from the dead. And everyone who believes on him, not only does he take away their sin, but he gives to us his perfect godliness. This is the answer. How are sinful people made godly people so they can go to heaven? They believe in the godly one and he gives us his perfect godliness so that we can go to heaven. You can't invent this. No one has ever invented this. It had to be revealed and it's been given to us. And so God builds his church in order to display his wisdom. He builds the church through People preaching the gospel. How was the gospel preached? Well, we hire preachers. No, that's not what the Bible says. It says that God preaches the gospel through us. This is the third point. God preaches the gospel through us, through you and through me. You see, Paul says in verse 7 he says, Of this gospel I was made a minister, even though I was the very least of all the saints. He wasn't saying that I was the highest and the best, he says, I'm the least. I think he's saying this for two reasons. One is he's amazed that God would save him. But two, I think he's saying this, if God would use me, who's the least, surely he would use you in getting this message out to others. There's a unique story about four lepers in the Old Testament. It's a little passage, 2 Kings chapter seven. If you're reading the Bible with us here at Providence this year, You came to it about a week and a half ago, right? Four lepers. They're on the outside of the city. And it's an interesting little uh, setting, okay? On the inside of the city is the people of God. It's Israel. They're inside a wall. On the outside is the army of Syria. And they have a siege. It goes all the way around. And so people can't come in. Food can't come in. So once the food on the inside runs out, everyone starts to starve, And it's really sad what like the ends that they go to and like, like the means that they choose to 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 actually survive. It's drastic things because they were so desperate. And so here's the people on the inside. They all have a tremendous need. You have this foreign invader on the outside and they're taunting and they're threatening God's people. And in the middle, there's four lepers, people with leprosy. They know they're going to die simply because they have an incurable disease. And here at the time, this is what happens. It's amazing. They start getting hungry too because they run out of food. And so they have some options, right? And they start to talk amongst themselves. And they say, well, these are our options. We can go into the city. We're Israelites. So we could go in and we would just die with all those people. That doesn't sound so good. We could just stay here. But if we stay here, we're going to die too. The only other option is to walk away from the city, which is encircled by a Syrian army. And say, well, we'll probably die there too. But that's the only people that have any food. So if we've got to die, let's try that. So the four lepers, they say, all right, let's go. And so they go to die and they get out there and they get out to the camp of the Syrian army and the army has fled. You see, God, we're told, had created such a sound like an army that they thought that the king on the inside had actually got word out and created all of these alliances and all these other armies were coming to evade the Syrians. And so Syrians, their whole army, they just leave. So here's, on the inside of a wall, there's a whole people starving to death because of fear for an army that's no longer there because God had created and accomplished a great victory. So the four lepers, they get there and like, wow, look at all the food. They start disenjoying enjoying it, you know, and they, and, and they see all these treasures. And like, this is great. So they start to dig holes and bury the treasure so they can come back to it later. And all of a sudden, God gets a part all, all up in their business. And they're like, what are you doing? And it, and, and it says that they start to say to him, wait a minute, how can we do this? And this is what they say. How can we keep all this to us? When they don't know the good news. (laughs) The good news. The good news is the same word's gospel. They don't know that God has accomplished a victory for them. How can we not go tell them? In providence, this is what God has done. There's vast amounts of people throughout the world that do not know that Jesus has already accomplished the victory for them. They don't know. Some of you say, well, you know what? We should reach our own city first. Some of you may even say, you know, there's people on my own street. We should come reach my street. Listen, they're reached. You live there. They're reached. They may be still lost, but they're reached. God has placed a light on their street. There are Two billion people on this earth right now and there is no light on their street anywhere. They're starving inside the city and they don't know that God has already accomplished the victory for them. And so Paul, consumed with this reality, he writes in Romans chapter 10, He says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. You see, Matthew 28, Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It says that you will receive power from the Holy Spirit and you'll be my witnesses, not only in Jerusalem where you're living right now, but also Judea and Samaria, your region, and to the ends of the earth. So let me show you how this works. Look at this slide. Christ commissions his church. We can't argue with that. He's already done it. You just have to read it. He's done it. He's commissioned us. And when the church is faithful, the church sends Christians says how will they go unless they're sent so the church sends christians when when they're sent christians preach they tell other people hey this is why we happen to be here in lynch kentucky this is why we're here in poland this is why we're here in romania this is why we're here right now we want to tell you some good news christians preach and you know what happens people hear (laughs) they hear the message they may not believe but they all hear And some of those hearers, they believe. And the Bible says that Christ saves every one of those who believes. And Christ also connects every one of those believers to a local church. And then Christ commissions that local church with the exact same thing that he does here. You see, this is his plan for reaching the world. A local church in every village, in every city in the world. So as we think about planting our lives in the church and we think about planting the gospel in our city, oh, we want to be faithful to those things. But we also have to be faithful to say, God has accomplished a victory and he's let us know and there's people that don't know. And so we have to be faithful to say, if the church is his plan, then we want to plant churches in the world. And so what does that look like for us? How can you be a part? Well, three things that we hope to do. First is we desire to see three to 500 people go on a short-term mission trip each year. Last year, we sent 300, I think in 28. I think that's right, 328 people. It's a lot of people. You say, is three to 500 people aggressive? And the answer is yes. It's very aggressive, okay? Send 300 people, it costs a lot of money and a lot of people have to go. Well, so what does that mean for us? What it means is this. Is that if you're an adult, a college student, or even a high school student, that we would ask you to go one time in four years. And if everyone who calls Providence their home one time in four years, that we would, we would, that's how many people would go. You can do this. We can do this, Providence. What we also want to do is we want to plant two churches in heavily unchurched North American cities. What this means is in the budget that you're going to vote on tonight, which is just a one-year budget that we do every single year, we vote on a one-year budget. Inside of that, there's room for a church planting resident. What that means is that we're going to hire someone who's going to come in for less than a year, hang out with us, see what's going on, and then we're going to plant that person and maybe a little team with them in a strategic city in North America that's highly unreached, that's highly unchurched. We're even going to ask for you to pray that maybe some of you would even relocate to that specific city in order to help that church get off the ground. You think, well, that's crazy. Axe right. is pretty crazy, and yet it's Axe, it's there. It's our model, right? And the third thing that we want to do is to partner with 10 North American church planners. And over 30 church planners throughout the world. Now, what does partnership mean, and how is that different than the plant? Well, the plant is where we're really working. It's almost a strategy of evangelism. We're saying, we want to help people in this place. For the partners, really what that is is that someone comes to us and they say, we believe that God has a vision, and we've started a church here, but we really need help. Can you help us by praying for us? Can you help us by helping with, even with funding and finances? And can you help bring teams so that you can come and help us maybe put on like a thing at Easter or Palm Sunday or a kids club, things like this. And you've seen us do these sorts of partnerships. And we simply want to expand on that. You see, here in North America, I want to show you a map. Currently, we have five church planners that we're partnering with. What that means, we're praying for them. We're sending money. And we're sending teams, and you see them. Portland, Toronto, Boston, Philadelphia, and Apex. Apex is Blake Hickman, who is here as a pastor for over 10 years. He planted a church in Apex, and we've been supporting you as a church family. We've been supporting him every month since he's left, right? What what an amazing privilege for us to be able to do that. And what we want to do is simply expand the number of church planters in our own country. But then I want you to look at this next map. Now, this is the world map. God has given us these partnerships with, with five very specific church planting seminaries. What that means is it's a, it's a, it's a school that, that trains pastors who already know that language. They already live there on how do you plant a church. And then what they do is they go. And when they graduate, it's their responsibility to go and plant the church. But they need help. They need funding and they need prayer. And so what we have the opportunity to do in these countries, right, that are highly unreached is to actually plant with indigenous church planners who already know the language, who already know the culture, that God's going to be using to actually reach. We've done 10 this year, and we hope to expand upon that. Now just notice the amount of lostness in these places. This is the next slide. Over on the left-hand side are the city. I don't have Apex up there, but... Boston, Toronto, Portland, Philadelphia, right? So what this means is this, right? That first one, 3% of 6.5 million. What that means is 3% of Toronto would be connected to a Christian evangelical church. 3% of 6.5 million, okay? But just notice on the right-hand side, now these are the countries that we're partnering where we're going to be planting churches, And so you see Jordan, 0.3% of 6.5 million. I know that's a country and not a city, but the whole country is 0.3% have the access to even hear the gospel. And if you continue to look down and you look at India, 2% of 2.2 billion people in one country, they don't have the gospel. And so Providence, we have the opportunity to be a part of this. And what I want to encourage you to think about is this, is that we as a body, we're not thousands of people that converge in one place for personal gain. We're thousands of members that make up one body to preach one gospel, to plant many churches for the glory of one king. And so you can help with this. You can pray. You can pray for people. God has urged us. He's pled with us Pray for more laborers. Pray that my name would literally be hallowed, be known throughout the earth. Pray for the missionaries as they go, for open doors. Tonight, six, six or seven times a year, we have a night where we pray and we worship together. And tonight is one of those nights. I just wanna just exhort you. I know we're all busy. I know we're busy. But that should get us more excited than voting on a building to actually pray for God's power to be extended into the world, for churches to be planted, it should be enthusiastic, tremendously enthusiastic within our heart that we would want to come back and say, I want to pray for that. So would you consider praying for that? Second thing, we can always grow. We all need to grow in our understanding of God's passion for the nation. So the very next series we're going to start next week is a series on Jonah. You're going to hear all about God's passion for the nations and you're all going to hear all about Uh, God's creative uh, ways, all right, to get his people to do that when we don't want to, okay? And so it's a a phenomenal little book in the Old Testament, it's called Jonah. Um, I think the third thing that we can all do is we can give. First John, verses five through eight says this. John says, it's a faithful thing that you do in all our efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are. Now what's happening here? He's introducing church planters to the church, and they don't know who these people are. And he says, but you know me, and I'm vouching for them. And it's a faithful thing you do to send these guys that you may not know, they're strangers to you. And he says, you will do well to send them off on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name. Therefore, we ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers for the truth. You see, how we're gonna fund all of this is we're simply gonna be faithful to give. And the fourth thing that we can all do is we can go. There's some folks even walking up right now that I see. We have the opportunity right now to actually pray and commission two different teams going to uh, Poland and then Lynch uh, here in our own country, Lynch, Kentucky. And as they're coming up to, for us to be able to pray for them, I want to encourage you to think about this, Okay what would it possibly look like for you sometime over the next three years to actually be able to walk up on the stage and for us to commission you? For you to be able to be willing to do this. You see, Providence, this is, this is a mission that, that, is, that, that is full of good news because we know how the whole thing ends. You see, the Bible says at the very end, it says that at his throne, there will be people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation, every language, they'll all be there. And so what we're gonna pray right now is that God would send these people from our body, just like we saw, to go and preach, to share the gospel, and some people are gonna hear. And some of those people are going to believe. And so our prayer as we commission them right now is that because of faith and us sending them and them going is that there will be people at the throne at the end day Uh, at that last day, worshiping the Lord from Lynch, Kentucky, and from Poland because of this investment. So in Acts chapter 13, it says that they prayed for them and they laid hands on them. So one thing that we've started to do, which is more symbolic than anything else, and if you're not comfortable, you don't have to do this, but if you call Providence your home, um, uh, just symbolically, I would ask you just to raise your hand up and Act like you're placing it on one of their shoulders as we pray for them, okay? So let's pray together. Father in heaven, I thank you for your grace in each person's life who's going. God, for the two trips and the two teams made up of so many individuals and stories of your grace working in their life, we thank you, Father, that you have placed upon their life a burden to go, Lord, a joy to be able to go and tell other people what you have made available to them. And so the story that began with them hearing the gospel now turns and they get to speak the gospel. And I pray that you would go before each team to Kentucky and to Poland as they engage with children, as they engage with parents, as they engage with adults. God, I pray for your grace to be poured out that as they speak, that you would give them wisdom, that you'd give them courage, that you give them sensitivity to be able to speak into that culture at that moment and that person's life in the right way, and that you would help people to come to faith in Jesus Christ. And so we pray that you would protect them. And God, in faith, we look forward to the stories of what you're gonna do through their lives when they return. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So Providence, let's give thanks for the Lord, right? We're so proud of you. We're so grateful as you go. And so uh, God bless you guys. I want to ask you, if you would, let's stand together and let's sing worship to the Lord who's made all of this possible, okay?